verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Certainly good to see all of you here tonight. We certainly have a large segment of our congregation away. They're doing good things, but they're absent nonetheless, and uh, we miss them. And even my sweet wife, Mia, is not able to be with us tonight. She's feeling poorly at home, and so I miss her. And I told you so that you could miss her too. Last week, we began the first of a two-part lesson on the subject of faith and how to get it and how to grow it, talking about the importance of faith, the absolute essential nature of faith in, in the life of a child of God. We talked about how that it's not the beauty of the stationery or the elegance of the wording in the letter that gets it delivered is having a stamp on it. It's having the right amount of postage that gets that letter delivered. And in a very similar way, on the spiritual side of things, it's not the form or the eloquence of our prayers that gets them delivered. It's, it's the stamp of faith. And we know that because James said so. James chapter 1, verse 5, If any man like wisdom, let him ask of God. Verse 6, But let him ask with nothing wavering. For he that doubts is like a wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. So James is telling us that we have a couple of options when it comes to our prayer life and praying either in faith or without faith. And that is that we can pray and we can believe and receive or we can pray and we can doubt and we can do without. Those are the two options for the child of God. So it is essential that when we pray, when we approach our Heavenly Father in His throne room, that we do so with faith because the Bible says so. I don't know what you'll accomplish in your Christian life, but I do know the yardstick, the measuring rod that will be used to measure what you will accomplish because the Bible says it's our faith. Jesus said in Matthew 9, verse 29, according to your faith, be it unto you. Think about the implications, the broad and the long-term implications of that statement. Whatever it is that we accomplish in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be accomplished according to the level, the degree of faith that we reflect in our lives. That makes this a very important subject. Faith, then, is the medium of exchange in the kingdom of heaven. Faith is the greatest asset we have, and unbelief is the greatest stumbling block, and it's certainly the greatest wickedness known to man. We talked about last Sunday night how that, that um, every sin there is Every sin that will ultimately condemn us is simply a fruit of, an offshoot of, a lack of faith. If we had more faith, we would isolate and make sure that we stay away from sin in our lives. We would be certain that we make good choices as opposed to bad choices. But faith, again, is the greatest asset we have. We talked about how all that comes to us by faith, we made a list of things that come to us because the Bible says so by our faith, but we also talked about the number of problems that we can encounter needlessly if we don't reflect the right amount of faith in our lives. We then discussed the reality of biblical faith. That was the first main point of this, of this discussion and how that Paul in Romans 10, 11 said, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. There is the reality of biblical faith. It is a, a very real tangible thing that we read about in scripture, both in Old Testament and New and we emphasize the point, the important point, that faith must have the right object if it's to be real faith. It's not just 
believing in any old thing. No matter what the signs in the stadium might say, just believing won't accomplish a great deal. There is some power to positive thinking, but that's not what real biblical faith is. Faith is understanding the nature of God, understanding God's compassion and concern for us, and God's determination to do the very best for his people. And if we understand those three principles, then that will motivate us, I think, to be more faith-filled people and also to be more praying people. The right object of our faith is, of course, Jesus Christ himself. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Turn your eyes or fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We also tried to hammer home the point that weak faith in the right object is better than strong faith in the wrong object. And, and we use several Bible examples to illustrate that fact. So I'm just, I'm just pleading with you to not put your faith in faith in, in just the act of believing itself, but put your, your faith in the Lord who is able to keep and to sustain that faith in your life and then to turn it around and bring great blessing into our lives. But always remember, your faith is no better than its object, and that's something we're going to be hammering again tonight. So you must come to really know God so that you can learn to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Tonight I want us to look quickly at three other factors. In addition to the reality of biblical faith, there's also the root of faith, the results of faith. And then finally we're going to be talking about how to release our faith and we'll define exactly what we mean by that when that time comes. But first, let's look at the root of biblical faith. There has to be a foundation. Again, the, the degree of efficacy and, and benefit in our spiritual lives is determined by the kind of faith we have and the object of that faith. So the foundation, the root of faith, I want us to think about for just a moment. All true biblical faith is rooted not only in knowing God, but think about this. It's also hearing from the God that we know. If I've read Romans 1 and verse 20 correctly, the created universe tells us that there is a God. And it also communicates to us something about God's power and majesty because that's what Paul said in that passage. But you can go out on a starlit night and contemplate the universe and come back in your, in your house and still never know the will of God. You can un understand and, f and see that testament in the skies, the firmament shows the handiwork of God, the psalmist says. But you're not going to know the will of God by looking at nature or at anything other than the word of God. That's the root of true biblical faith, and we need to understand that. The Bible says in Romans 10 verse 14, a passage that we looked at briefly last time, How then shall they call upon him in whom they not, not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And then verse 17 is where Paul says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Don't miss that. In order to have faith, you must hear from God. I'm here tonight to tell you as clearly as I know how that you cannot determine and ascertain the will of God by just guessing at it. I don't care how long you and how hard you try. You cannot just guess what God's will is for you and for me and for a lost humanity. This verse says that faith isn't something that you just generate on your own, that it comes and how it comes is by the word of God. Paul also agrees in Philippians 1.19 and gives us a slightly different perspective on it. He said, for you, to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake. Notice Paul's language there. 
It has been granted to you to believe in him. That passage seems to indicate that no one can believe in God unless God enables or grants him to believe. Now, before you get too concerned about what I'm going to say next, I will go ahead and say, but it has been a matter of debate over the years as to exactly how God does that. How does God enable us to have faith in our lives? Some say, and this has been the case for many, many years, in fact, for many, many centuries, and there are still some today who say that the only way that a person can ever come to faith in his life is for God himself to open their hearts in a mysterious and miraculous hands-on kind of way. And no one can ever understand spiritual truths unless God does that. So the honest really is on God to open our hearts so that we can then understand the word. Is that what the word itself says? No. Romans 1.16 seems to make it quite clear the connection between faith and the word of God. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's, watch this, it's God's power to save them that believe. And so those are the two options here. Note it is God's power to save them that believe. I think we made the statement last Sunday night, if not, I intended to, that God never did anything for those who don't believe. That is in terms of the spiritual blessings that come, can come about in our lives. God gives us his word. It is the word Watch this. It's the word itself that opens our hearts to spiritual realities, allows us to perceive that which we would not otherwise perceive. The power, the power is in the word of God. Paul said so. And we need to understand that in terms of how that faith is not only generated, but how that it's cultivated and grown in our lives. It still comes from the powerful word of God. And if we're trying to grow in faith apart from God's word, apart from, let me spell it out, Bible study, and I mean really getting into the word. I don't mean just skimming across the surface of the lake. I mean we're in a glass-bottom boat, and we're taking our leisurely time across the lake, and we're looking at what's beneath. I'm talking about getting into the word of God. It is only then can we really understand what God's will for our lives is. And hopefully with that will be a corresponding determination in our hearts and minds that what we read, we're going to do. Every time we read a command of God, we're going to obey it. Every time we find out that there's something that, that God wants to, me to be doing in my life, I'm going to have a determination and a commitment that I'm going to do that. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God, is what Paul said by inspiration. Therefore, contrary to popular contemporary belief, you can't just name it and claim it. It isn't quite as easy as that. No, when God speaks, here's the way it works. You must then believe it in order to receive it. That's how true faith comes in our lives. And that certainly squares with the definition of faith that the writer of Hebrews gives us in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Let's dissect that passage for just a moment. And see exactly what it is that the inspired writer intended for us to know and to believe. What does the word hope mean in that phrase, the things hoped for? Well, I can tell you what it means in our contemporary language. It means what we wish for. It means what we really would like to see happen. I hope that it will rain tomorrow or depending on your plans, I hope it won't rain tomorrow, whatever. But that's often, in fact, most often how we use the word hope in our modern language. It just means a strong desire. It means maybe. Maybe this will happen, and maybe it won't. 
And that's the way we use the word hope today. But I want you to know that that word hope in the Bible doesn't mean what our modern word means. Hope in the Bible means a bedrock assurance based upon the promise of God. That's what biblical hope is. It means assurance mingled with anticipation. So not only do I really believe in the sense of know that God is going to keep his promise, but I am with I'm anticipating that. I am looking for it's like a child waiting for Christmas morning. I'm waiting for God to carry through with his promise. And that's the reason that the Bible calls the second coming of Jesus the blessed hope, Titus 2, verse 13. Think about that. It's not just maybe the Lord would come back. It is our anticipation, our looking forward to the Lord's return that Paul is writing about to Titus. That doesn't mean it's a blessed maybe. It's a blessed assurance, folks. How do we know? Because Jehovah God said so. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't here yet. He hasn't returned yet. But we do know that he's coming. How do we know? Because because he said so. You and I can read it in this book. And I've made the observation that even with his earliest disciples, whenever the Lord predicted his crucifixion, he never did so without then also telling them about his resurrection. Now, I think they often missed that second part, the second point in his lesson. But he did it anyway. And I believe he not only did it for their benefit, but for ours as well. So that we would know that as surely as the tragedy of the cross would take place, three days later, Jesus on Sunday morning was going to walk out of that tomb and claim victory over sin and over death. And we were going to be spiritually emancipated because of what Jesus did on that old rugged cross. Hebrews 11, verse verse 1, look at it again, not only contains the word, the things hoped for, but it also uses the word substance, at least in the King James Version In faith's definition, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Do you know what substance means in this passage? I looked it up, and actually the word is very close in meaning in the English as well as in the original Greek. Substance implies something beneath you that you can stand on. That just makes sense, doesn't it? Subs and then stance. We're we're assuming a stance on something that is underneath us. So it's talking about a foundation here. When you're living by faith, I guess this is just the only way that I know how to describe this. The writer wants us to know that when we're living by faith in the promises of God and in his ability to sustain us on a day-to-day basis, we are not walking on eggshells and jello. Real faith isn't jello. It is a firm bedrock foundation for the life of every child of God. We need to go home understanding that, believing that, and reveling in that. And I believe if we understood that to a greater degree, you and I would look forward to our worship opportunities more than we do because we would be looking forward to any opportunity to be able to express to a loving, creative, powerful, saving God of all the work that he's done in our lives. So God has chosen to reveal all of that to us through his word. The root of faith is the word of God. Again, I say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know what that means in the long run, don't you? In in the ultimate, in the long picture of things, it means that there is not a man or a woman, living or dead, who ever came to faith in Jesus Christ apart from the Word. The Word has always been communicated in some fashion for someone who was lost to be able to change that condition to a position of being saved, of being in a right relationship with their creator. It doesn't just come to you out of nature somewhere in the woods. 
by virtue of your own rational ability. Faith isn't produced, as I've often said, between two trees out in the woods somewhere where you're trying to find God. Faith comes between the two covers of this book. I didn't really plan to say this, but let me go ahead and add this. I think sometimes we even need to be careful about how we sing that song, Beyond the Sacred Page, I Seek Thee, Lord. While we do understand that God reveals his power and majesty to us in nature, he does not reveal his will that way. The only way he reveals his will to us is in his word. He has chosen to reveal his will to us in words that we can understand, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 13. So when you hear God's message from a preacher, the preacher is not the object of your faith, and I know we're all relieved about that. God is. You see, the preacher just happens to be the medium by which God's word is communicated. At least ideally, that's the way it ought to do. He, he's just the mailman who delivers the letter. But God is the one who originated and gave that message. And we need to understand that as well. Now, the preacher's role may be important. At least that's what Paul said. In, in, that's the part of Romans chapter 10 that says, How shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? So we understand every message requires a messenger of some kind. But when a preacher is standing to, to present God's message, folks, it is not the preacher's message. It's God's message. And that's critical in growing our faith. That's why it is never my objective when I stand before you in this capacity to try to get you to agree with me. My, my desire, my objective is always to try to get both of us, all of us, to agree with God. And I want you to know that it is not what I might say in this pulpit that is of any great importance. It is only what God has already said that I might be able to reflect in this pulpit that is the matter of paramount importance. I think we would all agree on that matter. And when God's message gets delivered, it's a very personal thing. It's as if God has written this letter to just you and to just me. I think we need to open our Bibles in that way, it, I mean, not to say, even though the application is certainly applicable to all of us, but when we open our Bibles in our private Bible study, we don't need to be asking primarily, what will God have the church to do? What will God have the people who sit with me in the church building do? What will God have me do? needs to be the primary question and the primary objective in our Bible study habits. And so all of this is, is a part of, of growing our faith. God is speaking to our heart, to, to our mind, and I don't mean in any kind of miraculous way. I'm talking about the center of our intellect and our emotion. And he's saying that this word is from me, all of it is true, but this is specially from me to you. If God has never spoken to you in that way, I'm asking you, are you saturated with the word of God? How much time are you spending in the Word? Are, are you, as the church sign says, are you drinking deeply from the fountain of knowledge or are you just gargling? You know, we've got to get into the Word. And are you ready to do what you read? Are you committed to doing His will as soon as you find out what it is? What I'm trying to say is when you open your Bible, are you reporting for duty? Secondly and quickly, the result of biblical faith and the end result, the purpose of biblical faith, is also made clear by reading God's word. What does biblical faith do to you and for you? Faith, as we mentioned, I think, last Sunday night, or at least in a previous lesson, faith isn't getting man's, done, man's will done in heaven. Faith is getting God's will done 
on earth. The result of faith is the will of God being done in the hearts and the lives of men and women everywhere and at all times. Isn't that what we're about? Wouldn't you like to see everyone in the world become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Think about how that would just change our newspapers. It would be nothing but good news. If everyone became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and we all, to the very best of our ability, carried out his principles, what he taught in our lives, and we treated one another and, and we did unto others as we would have them do unto us, think about the, the world that we would live in. And notice I said you cannot have faith unless you hear from God through the medium of his divine word. Do you know what, that's going to, going, what you're going to do and how that's going to be accomplished in your life when you hear from God? You see, the whole point of Bible study is not just to get information about God, as important as that is. You are going to be hearing the will of God for your life. Now, I know I've said that a number of times, but forgive me for going back and hammering on it again. When God speaks, God is basically going to say, this is what I want done, and therefore I want you to believe it so that it will make a real difference in your life. We need to stop just spending time reading and skimming through the word and not thinking about application. Because, friends, if we're not opening our Bibles in order for it to make a real difference, it is a vain and empty exercise. So you can't have true faith for anything that's not the will of God. I kind of just blew through that, didn't I? But let me say it again. You cannot have true faith for anything in your life that is not the will of God. If it's something that God does not want or that God has already clearly condemned in Scripture, you can pray all you want about it. And you can hope that God's blessings would be upon you as you make that decision in your life. But if it's not the will of God, he's not going to bless it. Because God is not in the, in the business of blessing bad choices. But he is in the business of blessing those who are determined to do his will no matter what, even when it's personally inconvenient. So if it's not the will of God, there's no possible way that you can have true faith for it and in it. Now, you and I know that a lot of people believe a lot of messages out there that have no basis in truth. And I'm talking about even, or maybe I should say, especially religious messages. But that is not the same thing as biblical faith that we're discussing on these two Sunday nights. Biblical faith has that foundation under it that we talked about a moment ago. It's the substance of things hoped for. It is the, it is the solid, concrete evidence of things that are not yet seen. True and, and lasting, destiny-shaping faith can only come by hearing God's word. And God's going to, not going to give you a word on something that is not his will. In fact, Jesus, in his all-time great prayer over in John chapter 17, you may recall, said in verse 17, To the Heavenly Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That is the only way we're going to be set apart from the world and we're going to live victorious, successful Christian lives is to be moved and a difference made in our lives as children of God, determined by the will of God that we have ascertained by our study of Scripture. And all of that's wonderful news because it means that God's in control, not just of our lives, but of our world. So don't think that you can just believe for whatever you want and have it. It's God's will we're talking about here. We're not talking about your will. We're not talking about my will. You know, some people think that, that prayer and faith in God is like having the Midas touch. I know you know that old fable, that if I had enough faith, you know, God would turn my car into solid gold, then I'd be set for life. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, not unless God 
wanted it turned into solid gold. You see, th that keeps God in control, not us. That's why we're, we're not able in our prayer life just to name it and claim it because that would put us in control. All we got to do is just make a Christmas list, inform God of everything that's on the list, and he's, he's then required to be able to give you everything because, after all, if you ask in faith, God will give it to you. And I, I'm sure you've, you've heard that fable about King Midas. He wished that whatever he touched would turn to gold. He just loved gold, and so he got his wish, and he said, now I'm going to be wealthy. Whatever I want, whatever I touch will turn into 24-karat gold, but then when he went to eat his food, of course, he had to touch it, and it turned to gold. It was inedible. And when he kissed his young, sweet daughter on the cheek, she was no longer a daughter that he could love. She was just a solid gold statue. What he thought would be a blessing turned out to be a curse. And I'm simply using that illustration to help you and, and, and I to understand that, that if we had that ability in our prayer life, it would become a curse to us. If we could say, I can believe in whatever I want, God will bless me with that, we'd make a mess of things. I mean, that is absolutely guaranteed. And it would put us in the driver's seat rather than God if we just had that name, name it and claim it ability at our fingertips. No, the result of real faith is that the will of God be done, just as Jesus prayed in the garden, thy will be done and, and not mine. And you may say, well, that means fewer blessings for me if I'm not able to to give my wish list to God the Father, and, and, and if faith and prayer to the one to whom we prayed is not a glorified wish list, then that means we're going to get less blessings. No, that's, it means exactly the opposite of that. As I've said before in previous lessons, the will of God is not something that you must do. The will of God is something that you get to do. And so everything that is in the framework of God's will that he grants to our lives is a blessing. John wrote this, in 1 John 5, verse 14, listen carefully. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What is the reality of faith? It's faith in God. What is the root of faith? You hear from God, and that serves as the very foundation for your life. What is the result of faith? The result of faith is that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then finally, the release of faith. Now, that's, it's going to take a little bit of explaining, but don't worry, it won't take long. How do you release faith? What does that mean? By the way, when I was working on this lesson and thinking about the, this particular thought, I couldn't help but remember my days at Fried Hardman uh, University. Back then it was college, uh, and it was all dirt roads. No, that's not important. But uh, Dowell Flatt was the chairman of the Bible department at least a period of the time when I was at Freed. And he was also a great gospel preacher, and would hold 20 or 30 gospel meetings in addition to his teaching load. And one time in a Bible class, one of the Bible majors said, Brother Flat, just how many meetings do you hold a year? And he said, in, in the way that he had, I try not to hold any. I just preach them and turn them loose. And, and my final question to you tonight is, how do, we turn our, how do we turn our faith loose? If we all understand at this point, and maybe you did before you ever even heard these two lessons, that faith is more than just head knowledge. It's more than just collecting facts about God so that we can, you know, if we had to, we would pass a test on, on God or at least on theology. How do we release our faith? How do we get down into the, the private personal experience and make a real difference in our lives in a, in a rubber meets the road kind of way? 
How are we going to release our faith today? Because true faith is more than just believe. It's much more, as we just mentioned, than just an intellectual exercise. I'm here to tell you, and this is my last point to you tonight, that true faith always obeys. If it doesn't, it isn't real biblical faith. If what you say you believe does not translate into action, I'm sorry, folks, you don't really believe it. The word believe in our language comes from an old English phrase, by live, B-Y and then L-I-V, meaning that what we believe we live by, and the rest is just religious talk. Let me tell you what real biblical faith is. Faith is belief with legs on it. It's not only head knowledge, but it is trust and reliance in the God who created us, who loves us, wants the best for us, and will sustain us and equip us with everything that we need during that journey from earth to heaven. And you may say, if I can't believe, then it's not my fault. It's, it's God's fault because he didn't, he didn't give me enough faith. Watch this. Right before Romans 10, 17, where Paul says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, verse 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Watch that. They heard, but they didn't obey it. God spoke, but they didn't do what he said. But why didn't they believe? Not everybody in the world is a believer. It just struck me how profound that is. I'm being facetious. Not everybody in the world is a believer. But why not? Even those who have been exposed to the gospel message sometimes walk away without believing it and certainly without obeying it. A few verses later in this same passage, we read this, verse 21 of Romans 10. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Even when God is speaking and his message is being disseminated, not everybody is going to obey the gospel. I think we all understand that just by common sense, as well as what the Bible says on the subject. Even if people intellectually believe and give mental assent to God's message, that doesn't mean that they will necessarily release their faith, that is, express their faith in obedience. So God stretches out his hand, but there are people who are dis disobedient and contrary, just like ancient Israel was, and they want to debate instead of obey. And you may know some people that exactly like that in our day and time, and you may even be one. I don't know. But the Word of God speaks. The Holy Spirit is confirmed in God's letter that to lost humanity that it is true. But they, they parade it past the judgment bar of their minds, and they say something along the lines of this. I don't think I'm going to believe that. Some of the saddest experiences that I've ever had in my Christian life is to study the Bible personally with an individual, maybe at their kitchen table or some other context, and to know that that person knows what God's Word demands of them to be in a right relationship with God, and to have that person say, thank you for your time, but I don't think I'm going to do that. What's the problem there? It's a lack of faith. I don't believe that I'm going to believe that. The Bible says you can believe if you want to. It ends with this message, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Listen, and then we're through. And the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears come, and let him who thirsts come, and whosoever desires King James says, whosoever wills, let him come and take the water of life freely. Whoever wants to can believe to the salvation of their eternal soul. Unbelief seldom comes from the head but from the heart. 
And that's why the warning, I think, is given in Hebrews 3, verse 12. Beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Faith must issue from the throne room of God, but it's like air and breathing. God gives us the air. He gives us our lungs. But you know what? You can sit there and smother to death if you want to. We have to make a conscious decision as to whether or not we're going to avail ourselves of what God has given us. So let me sum it up with some clear and practical advice in order to have victorious faith. In the first place, we need to be saturated with the scriptures. I hope you've got that from our message tonight. If, if, if not, then I've missed my entire purpose. We need to be saturated with the scriptures. And always remember that faith comes by hearing from the word of God. We need to be dedicated to the Savior. Remember that faith is no better than its object. And so it's what we've been talking about is not so much a great faith in God, but it is faith in a great God. You see the difference? Number three, we need to be separated from sin. Unconfessed sin is a faith killer. Don't be disobedient and expect faith to grow. If you're having difficulty growing your faith, and I mean this with all the love in my heart, you might want to try repentance. And number four, be activated by the Holy Spirit. Remember that old song, Trust and Obey, and remember that we are to obey what we learn. Real, real belief, real faith is belief with legs on it. I wonder tonight, do you have that kind of faith? And more important than that, if not, do you want that kind of faith in your lives? I, I'm just convinced that you're here tonight for a reason. And, and, and if your reason was not spiritually based, you'd be somewhere else. I kind of said that jokingly a couple of years ago, and my college students in particular the ones who didn't know a great deal about Montgomery were the ones that laughed the hardest. I said, you know, there's a hundred places else that you could be tonight. And then I got to thinking where, about where we were. And I said, no, there, uh, okay, there's two other places you could have been tonight. But still, there are options. You're here because you're interested in the salvation of your eternal soul. You're to be applauded and commended for that. Because there's nothing more important than making sure that we're right with God. And the Bible says that through this faith that we've been talking about on these Sunday, in these Sunday night lessons, which then will lead you to truly repent of your past sin. It, it will create a godly sorrow in your heart that says, I am, I am truthfully sorry for the way that I've lived. I'm determined to live the way God would have me to live from this day forward. And then to allow that faith and that repentance to motivate you to confess your belief that Jesus is God's son. Be buried in water where Jesus' own blood will wash every one of your sins away. And you can pillow your head tonight knowing that if you were to pass from this life into eternity, you could sing that song, It is well with my soul, while we stand, while we sing.